Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. I was talking to my dad yesterday, and he is a pastor, and he is um, speaking out about some of the current events. Uh, So we've got uh, a lot of distress in our nation. Specifically, we look at things that are going on in Charlottesville, and um, it's it's, it's tough to watch, and it's tough to know how to respond as a Christian. And I think it's a good time to take five minutes to, to speak on it from the pulpit. Um, so I look at the news, and I, I feel distressed, right? I, I feel like if I, if I open my phone and go to the news app, what I see is just an indication of our brokenness as a society, um, as humans, as Americans. Um, and I don't exactly know what to do. And so what is our role as Christians at this time? And I think the answer is that it's not just to recognize that we are broken. It's not just to um, say, yes, things are going wrong and point uh, towards God. But we should do both of those things. We do need to recognize the brokenness. Um, God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. So that is one promise um, that we have in God's word. Um, And it's not just that we should um, point to God, but we do need to point towards God in these times. Um, But we can't minimize what is going on in our world by saying, just just look um, to to God in this time when you are hurting. We need to also empathize. Um, But specifically, as Christians, we can't ignore it. And we cannot equivocate and we can't condone um, when we see things um, that, are, that are clearly wrong that are going on in our society. And so I want to talk about um, three things that the Bible calls out that is sinful and that we do not condone and we do not equivocate um, with. Because there aren't two sides to, to sin, right? There's only God's side, which is right, and the enemy's side, which is wrong. So um, first of all, Slavery has always been sin, and especially I say that as the, what we've seen in America. Um, there is a verse in Exodus 22, as early as the law um, is written, in Exodus 22:16, it says that it is punishable by death to be in possession of um, a slave or to steal a person and sell them. So that is a very very clearly wrong as far back as the first law that we have been given. Um, We go back to Exodus for that. Um, There was some servanthood. There was some regulation around being able to work for someone. And um, then there was also a lot of grace around that with years when people are released. But the fact that was that if you were to go and take a person and force them into servanthood for you, that has always been punishable by death. And we see that even back in the book of Exodus. Racism has been sin. We see this in Leviticus, the next book. We're talking about the very early teachings of our church. And in Leviticus 19.34, it says, we're supposed to love these strangers strangers and sojourners in our country as ourselves. And so I think we've seen, as America has had the stain on our history, that it has in a lot of situations, led to us not seeing people who aren't like us as ourselves and not loving them as we would love ourselves. 
Um, and then violence is also a sin. And that's what we have seen um, in the events in Charlottesville. Um, even in response to what you might consider um, a violent act, Jesus said to turn the other cheek. And I think that's one of the hardest things to do because my initial rea reaction is to fight back, right? I don't want to um, accept uh, people who disagree with me. And a lot of people say the immediate response is to violence, an eye for an eye. And that was uh, a teaching for a long time, but Jesus turned that on his head and said, turn the other cheek. Um, so we look at things like racism, slavery, and violence, and we, we need to condemn these things as sin when we see them. Um, we need to stand for the truth and stand for righteousness. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing is that we cannot uh, see both sides of, of evil in our world. But we might not see things that blatantly necessarily. So what can you do maybe tomorrow? Because you won't run into a situation where you can uh, maybe condemn evil. I think what we need to do as Christians is we need to mend, mend things where we see brokenness. I think of the Good Samaritan, um, who it wasn't his job uh, to help that guy out, but he did anyway. He saw a broken situation, and he went to mend it. Um, we need to unite where we see division. We need to love our neighbor as ourself, also as early as Leviticus, and Jesus calls that out again as one of the greatest commandments. Um, and we need to love where we see hate, because love covers a multitude of sins. We need to love the people who we feel are divided from us, and we cannot insulate ourselves. I believe an insulated Christianity is an isolated Christianity. So who walks through that door that we can then go and uh, minister to and love on them? Um, we might disagree with everything um, that they believe, um, but we are called to love the sinners. So um, that's what I have to say this morning about the state of our nation. I think we as Christians are called... Um, even when we're not interacting with very specifics of a difficult situation, we are still called to mend, unite, and love, um, whereas um, we see brokenness, division, and hate. So I feel glad to have had the opportunity to provide an unsanctioned five minutes on current events, but it's what I wanted to say about what's been going on in our world. And now back to regularly scheduled programming. If you would turn with me to Romans 8, my sermon this morning is actually about heritage. Um, Romans chapter 8, I think it's verse 14, although my notes say 12. Um, so in Romans chapter 8, I think at verse 14 it starts, so then brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Let's pray this morning. Father, God, we ask this morning that you would speak to us, um, speak to us about 
our spiritual heritage and about the legacy that we can build. Lord, that we could see ourselves as fellow heirs with Christ and we can uh, live out in our daily lives and the struggles that we go through, um, live out a life of victory in, um, in what you have provided for us. Uh, where we might not recognize it otherwise, but Lord, that you would show us this morning um, where we can walk um, in the heritage that you have provided for us. Um, ask that you would speak to us and that we would have ears to listen. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to preach on two points really this morning. Heritage, which I'm going to define as what we inherit, and legacy, which could be a synonym, but I'm going to called legacy what we leave behind. So you've got what you, what you take from your past and what you leave for the future. I'm calling that heritage and legacy. I don't know if that's the actual um, concrete definition, but I feel like there's connotation that heritage is what you get from the past. Legacy is what you leave. And so what do we get out of Christianity? What do we get for following God? I feel like that's kind of a American capitalistic question to say, what do I get out of this? But we didn't just, we didn't just follow God because um, we don't get anything, right? Um, there's a lot that we are offered as Christians, and we cannot do it alone. If we, if we try to do Christianity ourselves and, and get there on our own, I think we're um, feeling a little sense of pride ourselves. So what do we get? What did we uh, walk into when we chose to follow Christ? What, uh, what is our heritage? Do we have any heirlooms? And I have, show and tell this morning, I have a prop that I brought, and it is a family heirloom of mine, and I think it's pretty fun, and I want to show you, and I hope this is not the only thing you remember from this sermon, but if it is, maybe it can get you somewhere. This is a banjo that was purchased by my great-grandfather Martin in 1925, but it's a six-string banjo, so I think uh, there might be someone else in here who has a six-string banjo called a banjitar. Um, it was a Gibson. It says the Gibson right there on the head, and uh, we fixed it up a little bit so it can be played like a guitar. It's a little bit out of tune, but uh, this, is, this is my family heirloom. This is something that I enjoy. Um, this is something that reminds me of my past, and uh, I can tell people about it and show it um, when I'm in front of a bunch of them preaching. Or any other time, if you come to my house, maybe we can play banjo together. Um, the story of the banjo is that my great-grandmother, Cora, got sick, and my grandfather wanted to get more medical care, so he had sold the farm and moved. He bought a Model T, and he bought that banjo for $125, um, and that is just a story that I can remember, and it takes me back to um, my heritage and where I came from. It doesn't apply very much to the rest of the sermon because I want to talk about spiritual heritage. It's very, very abstract, and it's not something that you can look at, right? And that's the, the difficult part of the application of this morning, is you're not going to see anything that you can take away from it. But if you remember that you did see a banjo, remember that you're supposed to not think about my earthly heritage. We're, we're here to talk about what, um, 
God has given us, our Father has presented to us what Jesus did for us and the heritage that we have in Christ and where we can go with that. So, are you more aware of your ancestral heritage than your spiritual heritage, more willing to talk about it, more likely to draw on it when you're in a tough situation? Are you more proud of it? I think I struggle with this because, like I said, these are very abstract concepts. So what do we get out of Christianity? What do we get as our heritage when we decide to follow Christ? I think there's four things. And the first thing that I want to talk about is our name, right? Um, I got to spend yesterday with Cora, and I told you that Cora got sick, um, and she... uh, is the reason that this banjo was bought in, in some way, but it wasn't the same Cora. Cora is now my niece. Uh, she was named after my great-grandmother, and uh, Cora has bright red hair, and we, she exhausted myself and Sam yesterday as we ran around at the park. Um, but a name can be passed along, and people can ask you uh, why you're named that way, and you can look back uh, to your past. Um, my... Great-grandfather who bought this banjo was Martin. His youngest son was Kenneth Curtis, initials KC, and his youngest son was Kevin Curtis, initials KC, and his youngest son was me, Riley Olson, Riley Bennett, initials RB, not KC. So, so we kind of differed from the line, but uh, my younger sister was named Casey. She was just kind of fill in the gap, because I think it's kind of hard when you do a youngest sibling uh, tradition, because you never know how many more uh, sons you get necessarily. I think I wasn't expected to be the youngest son, so my sister got to be named Casey. But my grandpa, who passed away last year, um, he had nicknames for all of us, and his nickname for me was Arby. And I didn't think about it until last year, that he was probably making that connection where I'm my dad's youngest son, your dad is my youngest son, and you're his youngest son. And just that connection that we can draw from our name to be able to say, this is, this is where I came from, these are the people that I identify with. And we as Christians um, have that name, right? It's in the name, Christian, little, little Christ, I think, is um, where that came from. And, and in the Bible, uh, we are called sons of God. So what does that mean? Uh, to have that name, have that identifier. Um, I think we have a family. It means we have a place where we belong. It means we have a home. You can always go uh, to your family's home. Um, My dad, when he is talking about communion, he equates it with a a family's table for dinner, right? You you got your bread, you got your drink, um, and the family gathers around the table. Um, But he said kind of like uh, the, the mom who's the neighborhood mom who says, yeah, bring your friends, whatever. There's always room for one more person um, at the father's table. So uh, we can join in that family, join in that communion. Um, what else do we get from a name? And in the past, that meant you got an inheritance that couldn't be taken away from you. You were born into it. And, and we as Christians, we also have the inheritance. The verse said that we are fellow heirs with Christ. Um, and you think of the prodigal son who took his inheritance early and went off and squandered the whole thing. 
Um, and then he came back with, you know, his tail between his legs, thinking that he'd lost everything, and he hadn't. His father still loved him. His father um, knew that he would always be part of that family. He uh, had a feast for his son who had squandered um, everything because it was just money, and we don't, we don't lose out on the inheritance that we get from being uh, named heirs with Christ. Um, so that's the, the first thing that I would say that we, we should consider as we go through a daily struggle, is how, how can who I identify with help me in this struggle versus maybe my, uh, my dad has passed on intelligence to me, so I'm going to try to tackle this situation with my own intelligence. We can instead look to my Heavenly Father is omniscient and wise above all else, and how can I approach this with God's will in mind instead of my own. The second thing that I think we get from our heritage is a lot of times we get our calling. We get the vocation of what our parents did. Uh, I guess I would like to see a a show of hands. Like, who is doing something very similar to what their father did in their life right now? Uh, Okay. I am... I'm kind of going to say yes because I am preaching right now and my dad is also preaching right now, so that counts. Um, uh, My grandparents were pastors and my dad was too. And it was uh, Martin who bought this guitar um, whose family drove past and saw him with, I think, four sons uh, working out on the farm. They said out the window, what are you going to do with all those boys, Martin? He says, I'm going to make preachers out of them. And he did. He made, I think, four preachers four preachers out of my grandpa's uh, siblings. So, uh, again, that's my earthly heritage, um, but I think we need to look at it also as what did our uh, father do? What did uh, our fellow heir Christ do um, for us? Um, Jesus, he walked and he became, for a while, a carpenter like his earthly father, um, and then he went out into ministry and um, did his heavenly father's will. And we are called to be Jesus' witnesses um, to do exactly what he did, um, but even better is actually the way he, he says it. In John 14, starting at verse 12, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So greater works than Jesus did. And we have four Gospels to read what these works are, but we're called to do um, more than that because he's going to the Father and he's sending the Helper, um, his Holy Spirit, um, to help us continue that work. So we, we take on uh, Jesus' name. We, have, uh, we can be called sons of God. We take on this calling, this vocation. Um, and in this calling, we realize that Yes, we have this great promise that anything we ask in Jesus' name, he will accomplish, and he will do it for us. Um, but with that, there's also a great responsibility. I think, I think we shouldn't maybe attribute that quote, with great power comes great responsibility, to Peter Parker as much as we do. Because in Luke 12, verse 48, um, Jesus says, Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. So it is a great privilege, I think is the right word to use, to be able to continue the work that Jesus did that we see in the Gospels.
Um, the third thing that we can get in our heritage, well, I guess I want to ask, what else do we get from our parents? I will allow some response, some call and response this morning. Um, what is something else that we get from our parents or our heritage or grandparents? I'll tell you what I get from my grandpa. These deep-set Norwegian eyes where my eyebrow will sometimes like fall over my eye. It's just a trait. It's just a genetics. It's just something um, that can physically identify me with my family. And we see in the Bible that we are, we are new creatures and we are born again. John 3, verse 5, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And when he says that which is born of the Spirit, that is capitalized. So we know that he's talking about God's Holy Spirit, um, and the, what is born is our new spirit, right? So the Holy Spirit gives birth to a new spirit for us. And if, if, if we're born from the Holy Spirit, we should look the same, right? We should be identifiable. If people look at uh, our spirit, they shouldn't say, you have a very blasé human spirit about you. They should say, oh, that reminds me of what I read in the Bible. That reminds me of what Jesus was doing when he was walking on the earth. So we should be able to be identified um, as children of God also. And the last thing I want to say about heritage, the last thing I think that we can take and we can use to walk through our struggles because we can lean on it, lean on our past and our spiritual heritage is education and experience. Uh, my dad taught me chess. I like to think he was the best chess player that existed, and I know that is not true, um, but I, I felt like I got pretty good at it. We as Christians, we get lessons from the greatest teacher that there was, right? Um, if, if Jesus was a chess master, he would be a grandmaster, right? He would beat the computer. Um, we've got lessons from Jesus who walked this life and struggled in every way um, that we can be tested. And still, we have red letters in our Bible that we can read to see exactly how he encountered the situation. So it's not as though we were just uh, written a book that we can read and say, well, this is what the Old Testament says, how we should act, so I guess that's what we do. Jesus came and he literally showed us how we can live on this earth. So we have been shown a real example um, in God sending his son Jesus to walk as we walk through this life. Um, Psalm 119 Verse 111 says, Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. So I ask you, when you are in a situation that is difficult, when you are walking through daily life and you don't know how to react, that you would lean first on your spiritual heritage and what God has for you. Um, we cannot feel too sorry for ourselves at times. We cannot feel unprepared, we, can, we shouldn't feel empty-handed or nameless because we have this identity in Christ. We have this uh, legacy, this heritage that we can lean on. Um, and if we try to do it on ourselves, we're not going to make it and we're not going to get through um, the way that God wants us to 
succeed with what he has prepared for us to take with us into these situations. Um, so I want us to, when we get in a difficult situation, remember these abstract concepts of having a name, having this education, having um, these genetics, um, having this calling, um, and we've been provided for by him. So secondly, what do we do with that? Can we take anything from our heritage? How do we, how do we build off of our heritage, and, and what should we try to leave behind for the next generation? What is our legacy? I read, uh, uh, I, I really appreciate the poem uh, that says, only one life, it will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last, and that's kind of the theme that I want to say for, for as we build a legacy. We can build a lot of things for ourselves, um, but those are not things that will last. Um, so, so what can we leave behind? First of all, like I said, we can build something, and this is maybe counterintuitive, but uh, we see it a lot in the Old Testament where people will build a monument or they will build an altar. Um, the temple was built, um, and these things were very important to the people who built them, and they were also then important to the generations that followed. Um, and so how many times were altars built in the Old Testament? A quick Google search was inconclusive, but you can, you can see Gideon, David, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob many times. Um, these people would just build an altar to say, this is what God did for me. I want to commemorate um, what God has helped me uh, to accomplish here. Um, usually taken through great struggles, taken through times that were, um, they didn't know how they would accomplish it, and they leaned on God, and, and he got them through. And then what did they do? They built something physically. So what can we build? I think a lot of times we, we only think in the abstract, and, and it's good to think of what we can build as a spiritual heritage um, legacy for the next generation. But we can also actually take and, and build something and it will be meaningful if it's to God, right? If it's built for ourselves to say, oh, I have accumulated this much wealth. Look what I can build for myself. Will that be meaningful to the next generation? Maybe a little bit, but it won't last very long. Um, if we build it for our children to say, hey, I have accumulated um, this much wealth. I'm really good at um, building, so I'm going to build this amazing uh, structure. I'm going to build this house on a lake for my kids, and they will always remember how great I was at obtaining things and building, and I built a house for my kids. They'll appreciate it, but will it last? How meaningful will it be? Um, whereas if we take what we can do with our hands, what we can gather together, and we build something to commemorate what God has done for us, then we will have these uh, visible uh, reminders like the children of Israel had to say, oh, this is what my grandfather uh, went through and this is how God brought him through it. And that is meaningful and that is impactful. And that drove a lot of the Israelites' behavior um, back in the day was to remember and to see these visual reminders of how God was able to get their fathers through these situations. And a side point is that 
you might not always get to build it yourself. Um, my grandparents didn't build a lot and leave a lot behind to see that I've got a banjo um, that I can, I can talk about. But um, you might be setting up the next generation to build it. That's what David did. He, he really wanted to, to build a temple that would last for generations. And God said, it's not for you to build, but you have laid the groundwork. You are, there's a little bit too much blood on your hands to be the person who will build my temple, but your son will build it. And he got to see that as he grew older. So um, you might not have everything fall your way such that you have the wealth or whatever you would like to use to build a monument to reflect God's goodness. But um, we can at the very least um, do God's work and, and prepare the way um, and leave a legacy. And maybe we can see our kids accomplish um, what we have blazed the trail for. Um, I think we, we also need to look at simply multiplying as Christians, filling the earth um, with God's spiritual children. Um, this is not to say that physical children are not a blessing from God and we pray for them and they are the next generation of the church. But there are ways to, to grow the church that uh, don't involve uh, just having your own kids. It's reaching other people for Christ, right? Um, multiplication is a fascinating concept to me. And populations grow in such a way that it can be exponential. Um, you remember the equation from high school algebra, the PERT equation? Can anyone tell me what it is? The PERT equation? Okay, it's population growth. The population will grow exponentially from the initial population, P, times E to the RT, the rate that it will grow and the time that you take to grow it. So exponential growth, it, it goes on a curve like this. It goes directly up, and the more there is, the faster it will grow. Um, and if every Christian can go and multiply in this way every year, like consider the story of the, uh, well, the legend has it that the inventor of chess bankrupted the kingdom. Does, everyone, does anyone know this story? You know where I'm going with it. Okay, so the inventor of Ch the king of the nation was very impressed that this guy invented a game that was so nuanced, right? And he says, what can I give you um, as a reward for you giving me this game of chess? He said, well, give me a piece of grain on the first square of the chessboard today. Tomorrow, double it. It'll be two pieces of grain on the second square. And just keep doubling it. The next day, it'll be four. And the king thinks through a few days. He's like, okay, one piece of grain, two pieces, four. Then it'll be eight. By the end of the first row, it'll be like a handful of grain. I'm not really worried about it. But as each number doubles, you know, you get up to more than trillions of pieces of grain. And you end up with tons and t like more grain than there exists on the earth. And so the king has to hand over all of the food and this guy bankrupted the kingdom. I don't, obviously, this is not a true story, but it speaks to how we can multiply if, if, if we doubled every year, for example. Say every one of us reaches out to someone and uh, we 
we see a new life born, a spiritual uh, baby, as it were. And then every one of them goes out and evangelizes. We are called to multiply and fill the earth. And we talked a little bit about that in the last section. Um, if you, you look at the PERT equation, it will be exponential as long as the rate is greater than zero, right? As long as we are having a positive impact and growing a little bit, we will see, we should see exponential growth in our own population. And it's not that I want to see more bodies in church, although I do. It's that I want God's word to be spread. And that's what we were called to do. So the only losing strategy, really, is to have a zero rate of return, to do nothing and not um, reach out to others and not try to grow the kingdom. And so we, we win if we do better than nothing, right? If we reach out and we multiply um, with time, God's kingdom uh, will grow. So it reminds me a bit of the parable of the talents. If you bury what you've got, even that will be taken from you. But if you invest, um, God will reward you. So we can build things. We can multiply. last thing that we can do to build our legacy, I think, is just to teach. And I, I see teaching mostly as being an example. So we've got a lot of great hard workers, a lot of people who are great examples here in this room. Um, I, I appreciated um, Brett and Matt um, and others for going to the prayer night the other day, and I think kids see this, right? There's child care that is provided, so, so kids will notice um, when the adults in the room are doing something, right? And, and so you might not feel like you're accomplishing a lot to help the next generation if you don't sit down and talk to kids about what Jesus is doing, if you're not in the nursery yourself. But the children who are in our church, they look up and they see uh, what we are doing, and they see how we are looking to grow God's kingdom. Um, and so I do want to say I appreciate everyone who volunteers in this church for many different areas with setup, nursery, music, greeting, uh, grilling. Andy, thank you. Um, there is a potluck after church in Fireman's Park. I forgot that announcement. Um, sound, um, doing the nursery, doing kids' church. Um, and Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And the best training in my mind is modeled behavior. So uh, let's continue to model that behavior um, for the next generation. Um, and remember that the things that are eternal are God's word and God's kingdom. Um, Hebrews 12, starting in verse 26, um, says, At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. The things that can be shaken, the things that can be removed, in heaven and in earth, they will be. They will not last. These are things that are not eternal. Um, but we have received this kingdom that cannot be shaken. Um, 
And it's, again, it's like the poem says, there's only one life, it will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. So as we go through our lives, let us focus on the things that will be eternal. Let us be reminded of the things that we have been given um, that are eternal, that can help us walk through the daily struggles. But then let us also be looking for ways that we can build God's kingdom and the next generation will have something lasting as we um, will eventually also be removed. But uh, God's kingdom and his word will last forever. Um, So my last point is that the only thing that we have that really is worth building is God's kingdom. And let's uh, try to focus on that and think of ways that we can build God's kingdom here around us. Um, Would you pray with me now? Father, we we just thank you um, for the opportunity to dive into your word, uh, to hear your voice. We ask that you would show us um, the ways that we maybe have forgotten what you have for us and show us uh, the ways that we can build something eternal, something lasting, and something meaningful. Um, We go into a time now of communion where we remember um, what Christ has done for us on the cross. And uh, we want that to be the focal point, Lord. Um, if, if there wasn't the sacrifice on the cross, um, we would have none of this. And without the sacrifice on the cross, um, where would our eternity be, Lord? So we just come into this time of thanksgiving, of remembrance of what you have done for us. We ask that you would uh, continue to speak to our lives and show us um, where you have for us to go. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.